Neighbor, I heard about your heresy, and we've made it our mission to win you back to the flock. No sale. Homer, Christian life isn't all praying and sacrifice. Hey, dig this. Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. On today's Heretics of History episode, (laughs) we are going to learn all about the magnificent life and times of an American icon, maybe, some maybe joseph smith so why don't you take it away yes i just we need to clarify which one we're talking about i know i joked in the last episode that it's like the most basic white dude american name pretty sure if you look up just joseph smith like it's there's probably millions and millions and millions of of people named joseph smith but we're specifically talking about the one that founded the uh the mormon church who translated the the book of mormon so Let's jump in. Joseph Smith uh, was born December 23rd, 1805 in Sharon, Vermont to Lucy Smith and her husband, Joseph Smith Sr., uh, who happened to be a merchant as well as a farmer. He was one of 11 children, and uh, at the age of seven, Smith suffered a, a crippling bone infection and after receiving surgery, used crutches for three years. Uh, first of all, can we comment on like medicine in what 1813 like having surgery to fix a, a bone infection like that was probably a bone infection <laughs> dude i do not know but it sounds pretty intense so props to that doctor Yikes. um after an ill-fated business venture and three successive years of crop failures culminating in the 1816 year without a summer as it's called the smith family left vermont and moved to western new york taking out a mortgage on a 100-acre farm in the townships of Palmyra and Manchester. That's a big farm. I mean, I don't know what a modern farm is these days, but 100 acres sounds like a pretty big farm in my estimation. I don't know if you have any agricultural background, but... Absolutely none. All right, well, let us know in the comments below. Is that a lot of (laughs) acres or is that a small amount for a farm? Let us know what you think. Um, So this region of Palmyra and Manchester, New York... Uh, was a hotbed of religious enthusiasm, uh, especially during the Second Great Awakening. So we've we've talked about people like Jonathan Edwards and Lemuel Haynes, who lived in the late 1700s. Well, th- there's still some like reverberations and after effects floating around the the Northeast uh, around the Great Awakening. And so between 1817 and 1825, there were several camp meetings, tent revivals in the Palmyra era, uh, area, um, and Smith's parents. I guess really disagreed about how they wanted to conduct their religious life. Um, but there was still an excitement. There was, you know, a religiosity, um, you know, these, these tent meetings, these revivals, they, they created a buzz. They were fun to go to. There was all kinds of crazy stuff happening at them. And so as a teenager, uh, you know, by the age of 12, he became Joseph Smith, that is became interested in, in religion. Um, he also was sort of sympathetic to Methodism, so, you know, modern-day uh, Methodists. Um, but with other family members, he also engaged in religious folk magic. 
which was a relatively common practice in this time and place, apparently. Um, Both his parents and his grandfather reportedly had visions and dreams. Uh, They believed that they could communicate messages to and from God. Uh, Smith said that although he became concerned about the welfare welfare of his soul, uh, he was confused by the claims of uh, competing denominations. So you can already kind of see some of the undertones of Mormonism. So even at a young age, he he, he recognizes that there, there are some differences amongst denominations. He recognizes that he doesn't feel like he belongs in any single one of them. Um, and so he, he begins to to sort of develop his, I guess we could say, theology. Um, According to his later accounts, Smith was visited by an angel named Moroni. So we mentioned him in in Tuesday's episode. Uh, While praying one night in 1823, Smith said that this angel actually revealed the location of a buried book made out of golden plates, as well as other artifacts, including a a breastplate and a set of... um, I guess, like interpreters, tools. Um, there, there were some seer stones set within a frame, um, which had been hidden near a, a hill near his home. So again, I don't, I'm curious what to make of some of these things as, as you read about his history and some of these things that he claims to have experienced, if they were fabricated entirely, if there was some sort of neurological thing, if he had, um, you know, maybe he was you know, tripping on some shrooms that he found near his house or something. I mean, he's got a huge acre farm. He has to have found something there. Um, so so many not, really acres. <laughs> not, not really sure what to make of it, but Smith said that he attempted to remove the plates the next morning, but was unsuccessful um, because the angel had returned and prevented him. So he, he would go back to that place once a year, every four years until four years later, the final visit, uh, he returned um, and was able to get the plates. So um, meanwhile, the Smith family faced a lot of financial hardship due in part to the, the death of Smith's oldest brother, Alvin, not Calvin, but Alvin, uh, who assumed a leadership role in the family. So family members sort of supplemented their meager farm income by hiring, hiring out odd jobs and working as um, basically tre- treasure seekers looking for, for buried treasure, um, which actually was a type of magical supernaturalism common in that period. So again, Joseph Smith claimed to have these seer stones, which would help him um, not only translate, but like locate these hidden treasures. And Smith was said to actually have a knack, an an ability at finding lost items with this seer stone. Um, So it it helped him get the money that he needed, basically. Um, But apparently he also didn't always find stuff and it it became problematic. He, He got in trouble with some people while boarding at the Hale House in, in Harmony, Pennsylvania, Smith met and began courting Emma Hale. So he, he had traveled a little bit. He, he had made his way to, to Pennsylvania now. Um, and when Smith finally proposed marriage, Emma's father, Isaac Hale, actually objected, primarily because he believed that Smith had no means to support Emma. I mean, you're telling me that your, your seer stone and your treasure hunting isn't enough to support my, my daughter? is, you know, basically what Isaac said. Uh, But but Smith and Emma actually eloped and married January 18th, 1827. And uh, after which the couple began boarding with Smith's parents in Manchester. So moving back in with the parents. Uh, Later that year, when Smith promised to abandon treasure seeking, Hale offered to let the couple live on his property in Harmony and help him get a business started. So uh, Smith made... Uh, his last visit to this hill, again, mentioning this hill where the, the plates were buried on September 22nd of 1827, he took Emma with him. This time, he successfully finally retrieved the plates. 
He said the angel commanded him not to show the plates to anybody else, but to translate them and publish them, um, which again is a really, really, you know, the angel said, I can't show anybody. So no one actually knows if these are real or not. Um, but uh, Smith said that the translation was a religious record of Middle Eastern indigenous Americans and were engraved in an unknown language called Reformed Egyptian. He also told associates that he was capable of reading and translating them. So even though these plates that no one has seen are written in a language nobody knows about, uh, Joseph Smith is able to read them and translate them. <laughs> Which, when we, when, we, when we realize that this is what becomes the Book of Mormon, it's pretty insane. Um, but the Book of Mormon was translated and published. Um, Mormonism began to spread and grow rapidly. Um, Smith set up Mormon communities in Missouri and Ohio and Illinois. And a big reason was is because <laughs> with Christians in the area, he wasn't like all that liked. You know, a lot of Christians, because again, Mormons were claiming to be part of Christianity. A lot of the ones living near him were like, dude, you're a little off base. We don't like what you're teaching. So he was sort of forced to go to places where he was accepted. And Missouri, Ohio, Illinois happened to be some of those places. But um, he was heavily criticized. He was persecuted uh, by many for teaching his new ideas. In, in February of 1844, Smith and his brother were actually jailed on charges of treason. Um, so this was such a big deal that it wasn't just like heresy, but uh, charges of treason. And it was actually on June 27th, 1844, that an armed mob stormed the jail that Joseph and Hiram Smith were being held in. Um, Hiram, who was trying to secure the door, was killed instantly with a shot to the face. Smith fired three shots back with a pepper box pistol. I don't know what that is, but a friend gave him a pepper box pistol. Um, and he actually wounded three men and was able to spring out the window. But as he's getting out this window, he's shot multiple times and falls out of the window yelling, Oh Lord, my God. And he died shortly after hitting the ground, but was shot several more times before the mob dispersed. And actually five men were later tried for Smith's murder, but all were acquitted. So when we look at the life of Joseph Smith, he barely lived to be over the age of 40. Um, but lived an absolutely fascinating and interesting life, you know, regardless of what you think about him. The fact that he, you know, had the, the bone infection that was, that was healed. He, um, grew up in the remnants of the second great awakening and had a religious life, but wasn't satisfied with the way that it was going. So decides that again, I don't know what he believed if he, if he just like was making it all up as malarkey or if he truly believed what he was doing. Um, but like, you know, found these seer stones, became a treasure hunter, had some luck, didn't have some luck, got married, um, finally was able to get these golden plates and showed nobody, translated from a dead language. It's just like all so fantastic. It almost sounds like a movie or something. It sounds like the plot of, you know, the next National Treasure movie. I mean, really, if you've seen Nicolas Cage and National Treasure, that's kind of what I picture Joseph Smith being, you know going all over the, the country looking for buried treasure. But um, again, uh, given what we learned uh, in our episode on Mormonism specifically, and just given some of the things that we know about his life, it, he is a little, a little crazy, it sounds like, but not much else to Man. say there. The magic and the treasure hunting and the dying in a hail of lead, <laughs> I, I've never heard any of that stuff that's yeah. so interesting <laughs> like yeah. 
Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, as always, you can hit us up anytime. You can hit us up anytime. We, won't, we probably won't answer anytime. Um, on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast. You can email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, for any feedback, questions, or our future episode ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. Check out our sponsor, logos.com slash doxologypodcast. And until next time, we will see you. Peace. <laughs>